Um, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me uh, to the book of Acts, chapter 13, uh, we're going to be looking at two uh, sections there, uh, verses 16 to 22, and then we're going to jump to verses 36 and 37. Okay, Acts chapter 13, uh, verses 16 to 22, and then 36 to 37. Uh, if you can choose your translation, I'm going to be reading uh, from the NIV, and you'll also see it on the screens uh, behind me. This is the reading of God's word. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, one of my favorite uh, pastors and authors, uh, Rich Viotis, uh, out in New York, says that the sad irony of our day is that you can be deeply committed to being Christian and yet not be deeply formed by Christ. Okay, put another way, you can be deeply committed to going to church and doing Christian things, but ultimately look nothing like Jesus. And that's kind of the, um, I would say, the, the driving theme behind our entire summer series. If you've been with us, you know we're in a series called Unlearn and Relearn. And we're going to various texts in Scripture that kind of force us to re-examine uh, habits, practices, and mindsets that have kind of become ingrained in our lives, that we've unknowingly adopted over time, that um, kind of make us look more like the world than like Christ. And each week we're asking, how does the gospel teach us a new way of being? Because we believe that the gospel isn't just empty truth. We believe that the gospel does something to us that completely reorients the way we understand how the world works. The gospel does something to us that completely shifts all of our paradigms, that, that shifts kind of the way we move and act and, and treat our neighbors. Um, we've talked about it from the beginning. Uh, the gospel teaches us in a world where everyone is busy, the gospel teaches us to be present. In a world where everyone is constantly comparing themselves to other people, the gospel teaches us to be content. In a world gripped by fear, the gospel teaches us how to live by faith. Right? And last week, if you were here with us, we talked about how the gospel moves us from a life of independence to a life of interdependence. Okay? And, and the title of our sermon today, if you're taking notes, is From Heroes to Humans. Okay? From Heroes to Humans. Uh, if you get to know me, you'll know that I have this thing with alliteration. It's a sickness. Uh, I don't know. 
uh, why I used to be an SAT instructor, and so I, I can't get out of it. Sometimes it takes me equally as long to come up with the sermon titles than it, you know, as it does to come up with the sermons themselves. But anyways, uh, from heroes to humans, okay? So in a world where everyone wants to be a hero, the gospel teaches us how to be human. Okay, and we're going to use our text today to kind of help us unpack that. Uh, for some context, the book of Acts is all about the early church. It's how Christianity spread from the Jewish people uh, to the ends of the Roman Empire. And here in chapter 13, you have two missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, uh, who basically arrive in the city of Antioch. So uh, they've been sent by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel to new regions, to bring people uh, into the story of Jesus. And they're here in Antioch. They're joining a synagogue there. You know, they're in a worship service just like we're in right now. And the leaders of that synagogue basically call out to them and they say, hey, you want to stand up and, and say a few words? And Paul stands up. He says, you know, okay. And, and he begins to tell the story of God's people. And when you read this, it's interesting because often, you know, what is said uh, is, is pretty important, but it's almost... Uh, a lot of times what isn't said is just as important, if not more important. Like if I were to ask any of you guys sitting here, and if I were to put you on the spot and have you stand up and tell your story, I would say we would learn a lot about you by what you choose to say, and we would also learn a lot about you by what you choose to leave out, what you choose not to say. And you would think that, uh, you know, if someone were to tell the story of God's people, you have to understand there were people here hearing this story for the first time. You would think that this story would be a story about all of our favorite Bible characters, right? From Abraham to Moses to Joshua, David, Elijah. And yet when Paul stands up, we don't get any of it. You know, it's really interesting. My, my uh, son, who's three years old, he's really into the Jesus Storybook Bible um, I know, so cliche, right? PK, he's into the Bible. Um, and, and when he asked me to read it to him, he always says, hey, Daddy, can, can you read me that story about Jonah again? Or can you read me that story about Noah's Ark? Or re read me that story about Daniel in the lion's den? And in his mind, he still believes the Bible is a collection of stories about heroes, right? Which is why he asked me to do that. And yet here in Acts, Paul stands up and he's invited to tell the story of God. And this is what he says. Let me read this for you again. Starting from verse 16, I'm going to read the 21. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. Still no word of Moses, right? For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. There's only one protagonist in this story. There's only one hero, and it's God. I mean, if you notice, any of the names mentioned there, they're not the primary actors. They're just passive participants. This story is about God and God alone. In fact, most of us probably don't even realize 
that the people we often hail as heroes in the Bible, the people we often name our kids after, most of them were murderers, rapists, and adulterers. Okay, um, I won't even say who those names are because I don't want some of you to feel bad about your names and who you were named after, but um, they're there. But the thing is, we don't like to talk about those stories. We don't like to talk about the backstories behind all these people. Why? Because we are obsessed with heroes. We don't like to hear about it when someone we consider a hero. We don't like to hear stories about the people we idolized growing up having these huge falls from grace. We don't like to hear about it. This is why when, you know, people, it rocked the Christian world when you had stories about Ravi Zacharias, this guy who brought so many people to the faith, you know, he, who really like, um, I, I would say for me as a college student learning about Jesus for the first time, someone that had such a formative impact on my understanding of God, it was so hard for me to believe that, oh my gosh, maybe there's this dark underbelly of his life that I don't know anything about. But you see, we're obsessed with heroes. And, and I would say that that's not unique to our culture. Every generation has its heroes. When you go back to ancient Greece, right, you have the Greek gods. These gods that were larger than life, that were superhuman, that had the ability to transcend reality, where, you know, they, they were almost separate from normal mortals, from separate from human beings. And every generation has these people that we strive to be like. These people who are kind of out of reach, these people we would consider our heroes. Now we happen to live in a generation and in a city where this kind of hero worship is heightened to an exponential degree. I mean, we live in LA. We live in the land of celebrities and influencers where everyone's trying to be someone they're not. Everyone's constantly bombarded with images of people doing amazing things, spectacular things, people who personify greatness. Um, this past week, I was watching the Olympics, and I saw um, Momiji Nishia, who basically became one of the youngest gold medalists uh, in Olympic history. I mean, she's 13 years old, gold medal winner. I don't even know what I was doing when I was 13 years old. I was definitely not winning gold medals. But, but I mean, all day long, we're bombarded with these stories and images of people doing spectacular, extraordinary things. And we're constantly looking at their lives saying, why can't I be more like them? And when you live in a culture like this, when you're bombarded with these kinds of images, daily reminders of how insignificant our lives are, uh, it's no wonder that in all recent surveys done in millennials and Gen Zers, the number one thing all millennials and Gen Zers are looking for is to make an impact. Survey after survey, you ask Gen Zers and millennials, what do you want to do? I want to make an impact. I want to do something great. I want to leave a lasting legacy. You know, it, it's, you know, our parents, if you ask them, you want to make an impact, they're like, make an impact. They're like, we want to eat. You know, we just want to survive. This is why our parents' generation could be in the same profession 20, 30, 40 years and not have a problem with it. In a recent Gallup poll study done on millennials, they said 21% of millennials, okay, almost one in four had only been in their job for one year and were planning to leave after one year. One year. 
job to job, job to job. And you know what the number one reason they cited as to why they were going to leave their job? It was not money. It was not location. It was not coworkers. It was because they didn't feel a sense of purpose in their work. Over and over again. I just want to do something more. I feel like there's more to my life. I want to do something special. I want to do something extraordinary. We all want to do something big. We all want to leave a mark on this world that people remember us by. I have a lot of conversations with friends these days where we talk about what it, what it looks like to leave a mark for the next generation. That's how you know you're getting old, when you and your friends talk about leaving a mark for the next generation. And a lot of my friends, uh, you know, I asked them, hey, why, why did you choose, you know, make that career change? Why did you choose that job? Why did you make that decision? And you know what a lot of my friends say? They say, you know, I'm getting older. And when I die, when I'm on my deathbed, I want to be able to look at my kids in the eye and I want them to be proud of me. I want them to be able to say, like, my dad or my mom did something great. And the irony is, is that our kids could care less if their parents did something great in the world's eyes. They just want a mom or dad. And yet there's something in us that feels this need to do something extraordinary for our life to be worthwhile. There's something in us that wants to be heroes for our lives to matter. Now, uh, of all the characters in the Bible that we learn about in Sunday school, um, probably the most famous one, and probably uh, the one that most of us would be inclined to call a hero, is probably King David. Uh, we've all heard the life of King David growing up. Um, you know, we, we all know the story of David and Goliath. There's, there's so much written about David's story. And in David and Goliath, you have this young inexperienced shepherd boy who slays the big bad Philistine giant with a sling and a stone. You have entire books of the Bible dedicated to David's life. But I'm reading this text this week, and you know what's so humbling? I want you to read verse 30. I want us to read verse 36 again. This one line just jacked me up this week, and it says this. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. I want you to think about that for a bit. This is how Paul summarizes David's life. For all his heroic endeavors, for all his grand achievements, for all his accolades, when all was said and done, the only thing that was worth mentioning was that he served the purposes of God, and then he died. That's it. You know, we talk a lot about what it means to leave a lasting legacy, but I've actually never seen a tombstone that read star athlete, award-winning musician, millionaire. You know what most tombstones read? Beloved mother, sister, daughter, friend. Death is the great equalizer of all people, and it turns all heroes into humans. Every tombstone reads the same. David accomplished more in his, one, in his one lifetime than many of us could accomplish in 10 lifetimes. And yet the only thing worth mentioning about his life is that he served the purposes of God in his own generation. That's it. This verse is a blunt picture of David's mortality and his humanity. And yet I would suggest 
that it's precisely because David knew who he was and who he wasn't that ultimately made his life matter. So what does it mean for you and I to recover and relearn what it means to be human? What does it look like for you and I to relearn being human? I want to give us two things, okay? Number one, being human means embracing our limitations. Embracing our limitations. I love that Paul says David served God's purpose in his own generation. Not in past generations, not in future generations, in his own generation. He doesn't try to do more than he's called to do. He doesn't try to be more than he's called to be. He doesn't try to be someone he's not. He served God's purpose in his own generation. He accepted his limitations. And we live in a culture that doesn't like the language of embracing our limitations. We live in a culture that says you can be anything you want if you just put your mind to it. And it's very inspirational, very motivational, very Instagram-worthy, but it's not true. It's not true. In fact, it's this very mindset that leads people to believe that you must be willing to sacrifice everything to be successful and win at all costs. And if you don't believe me that this is uh, the prevailing mindset of our culture, all you have to do is look at the hate and vitriol that was spewed about Simone Biles this week. Among all the many posts that praised her decision to pull out of the Olympics, there were just as many posts about, of, of people who said she was a shame, uh, she, she brought shame to this country. I read post after post of people who said, well, if she didn't have the mental fortitude to go out and compete, she shouldn't have been there in the first place. Well, if she was going to do this, she, let, uh, she, you know, she shouldn't have taken a spot from somebody else. I read someone say that she crushed the dreams of so many young girls who idolized her. She was a hero who turned out to be human, and we hated it. We hated it. Um, you know, I, I, I was listening to this, and it just angered me, because I, I, I went down this rabbit hole of looking at all this stuff that was being said about her, and you had Charlie Kirk, who's a conservative American radio talk show host, and, and one of his clips went viral this week, and he basically calls Simone Biles a selfish sociopath and a shame to the country. And he goes on on this rant about how we're raising a generation of weak people like her. And you see, rather than seeing this whole thing as a beautiful picture of someone embracing their limitations, understanding that they're not called to be just extraordinary all the time, we saw this as something, we saw this as weakness. We saw this as failure. We said, you know what? We didn't say winning wasn't worth someone's mental health. We said you should win at all costs because we're obsessed with heroes. And so don't tell me that we don't have an unhealthy obsession with heroes in our culture. We have such an obsession with heroes that we just won't let people be human. But what our text today does is it poses the question for all of us. What if our limitations aren't barriers to overcome? But what if they're gifts to embrace? Gifts that protect us from being people we're not. Gifts that protect us from doing things we were never called to do. Gifts that connect us more deeply to others. Gifts that allow us to receive the gift of God's grace 
in our lives. The life of David is not the story of someone who was destined to be a hero. The life of David is a story about God and his power to use anyone for his purposes. Okay, so number one, being human means embracing our limitations. Number two, being human means embracing the ordinary. Not just the extraordinary things in life, but ordinary acts of obedience every day. Take a look at verse 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Do you know why God chose David? It wasn't because God thought David would make a great king. It wasn't because God thought that David could do something extraordinary with his life. It says God chose David because he found a man after his own heart who would do everything he wanted him to do. Everything. Not just special things, not just grand things, everything. I'm reminded of Paul's letter to the Corinthians when he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Being human means embracing the ordinary in obedience to God. You know what being human means? It means loving your wife. You know what being human means? It means loving your sister or brother. It means showing up at work. It means spending time with your kids. And you might say, spending time with my kids, how is that my purpose in life? What makes you say that? Because the Bible says the, the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. The world tells us you have to do more. The world tells us you always have to achieve more than what's right in front of you. And God says, that's foolishness. You know, when I think about Jesus, Jesus is unlike any hero in human history, both fictional and actual. Uh, in fact, he's the exact opposite of what we would consider a hero, right? Because typically, we give someone the title of hero when they do something superhuman when they transcend reality, when they transcend the laws of physics. You know why we're obsessed with Marvel movies? Why we're obsessed with superhero movies? A lot has been written about in recent years. It's because we get to watch people who are far more significant than we will ever be, who are far more beautiful than we will ever be, do things that we can never do, and there's something about that we're addicted to. We love that. And you see, all these people we hail as heroes because they can do things that are superhuman, Jesus is the only hero who becomes human. He's the only hero who chooses to become human. Do you know why Jesus is unique and why Jesus was such a disappointment to all his contemporaries? Because he was so normal. He was so human. You know, like, Jesus performed a lot of miracles throughout the course of his life and ministry, but when you actually sit down and read the Gospels, you realize that most of his life was spent doing ordinary things. Eating, drinking, praying, working a nine-to-five, spending time with his friends. This was Jesus' life. He embraced his limitations, he embraced the ordinary, and he received every day as a gift of God's grace. And this is why this is why, because Jesus never tries to be great, he never tries to be a hero, this is why he ends up becoming the greatest hero in human history. This is why he accepts his lot in life, even if that means being hung on a cross, beaten, shamed, and humiliated. That is not the picture of a hero we would normally think of, and yet this is the picture of Jesus. 
Most of us would look at Jesus' life and his death and we would look at that as an utter failure. And yet what was foolishness in the world's eyes was the single greatest act of heroism in human history. Friends, you and I desperately want our lives to matter. We want our lives to mean something. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the God of the universe saying, your life matters. Your life matters so much that I was willing to give my own life for you. There is nothing more to achieve. There is nothing more to accomplish. There is nothing you need to prove. Your life matters. Your life matters in and of itself. You don't have to do anything extraordinary. Your life matters now. You know why I love John the Baptist? And we didn't read the section on John the Baptist in this text, but it starts in verse 24. Even when people tried to make John the Baptist a hero, he never wanted it. He never accepted it. They said, are you the Messiah? He said, no, I'm just a voice calling out in the wilderness. I'm just here. I'm just an ordinary guy, and I'm just here to point people to the one who's greater than I am. I'm just here to point people to the one whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. John the Baptist knew who he was and who he wasn't, and even when the entire world wanted to make him a hero, he didn't accept it. He wouldn't take it. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of life I want to live, where I don't have to be a hero, where I embrace the fact that I don't have to do anything extraordinary to be loved by God because heroes are defined by their trophies, by their accolades and their accomplishments, and I don't want to have to be defined by those things. I don't. And the gospel says I don't need to be, and in fact, I can't be because none of us are built to be heroes. We're not. You know, I, I met up with a friend of mine this week and we were talking about a new documentary that just came out a couple weeks ago called Roadrunner. And it's a documentary about Anthony Bourdain's life. And um, for those of you, I'm sure everyone here knows who Anthony Bourdain is. He's a celebrity chef, author, cultural icon. Um, you know, I can't think of, you know, one person probably other than Kobe Bryant, like another celebrity whose uh, death had, had like a greater impact on me. And when you think about Anthony Bourdain's life, it's such a tragic story. Because in the movie, you basically get a dual image of Anthony Bourdain. You know, on the one hand, you know, when you, when you know his life story, he's basically a no-name cook who basically became an overnight sensation and became an American hero. And you get these dual images. On one hand, you get the Anthony Bourdain all of us fell in love with. You get the Anthony Bourdain that we saw on screen. You get the Anthony Bourdain that traveled the world, who was so culturally literate, who somehow knew how to relate with people. And you get this amazing Anthony Bourdain that everyone, every one of us wanted to be. We all wanted to have his life. But on the other hand, you actually got a picture of Anthony Bourdain that was shockingly human. Someone who struggled with depression, someone who was moody and compulsive. And you realize that he wasn't built to be a hero. We projected this sense of hero on him, but he couldn't carry the weight of that burden on his own shoulders. And he ended up taking his own life because he couldn't 
do it. But we didn't want him to be human. We didn't let him be human. We wanted him to carry the weight of heroism on his shoulders. But you see, we're all like him. None of us are heroes. None of us can carry the weight of that on our shoulders. We're all just finite, broken, imperfect human beings in need of God's grace every day. You might think admitting that takes something away from you. No, it's the most freeing truth in the entire world. Uh, what I love about Paul's summary of David's life is not only that he doesn't mention any of David's achievements, he also doesn't mention any of David's failures. I love that. What Paul is saying is, we're not defined by our best days or by our worst days. We're not defined by our greatest victories or our worst mistakes because we're not the protagonists of our story. Our lives are not in our hands. It's God's story that he's writing through us. The gospel tells us that the measure of our life's worth is not up to us. You will not find human heroes in the pages of scripture because there are none. All you will find are flawed, broken, damaged human beings like you and me just trying to make it and needing God's grace, but who are empowered by God through the work of Jesus, the only true hero, to live in such a way that we don't bring glory to ourselves, but to the one who stopped at nothing to give us all we could ask or imagine. You know, let me just close by, by the, with this. Um, we have a book on our bookshelf at home that we like to read to our daughter once in a while, and it's by Rachel Den Hollander. And she was the first woman to publicly accuse Larry Nasser. Uh, former USA Gymnastics coach uh, uh, of sexual abuse. And the book is called How Much Is a Little Girl Worth? And it chokes me up every time I read it to my daughter. And, and I, I like to close today by reading a couple lines from the book, and I pray this would resonate with all of us in this room. This is what it says. Worth more than money or trophies or fame, worth more than power or protecting a name, your value is found not in what you can do or the things you can ac accomplish and win. It is found in how you were made, precious girl, created and cherished by him. No one has power to change what God has done, and he says you're worth everything, even his son. Worth all the pain, worth great sacrifice, worth leaving heaven, worth giving his life. Friends, we don't have to be heroes to be worthy. We don't have to do something great for our lives to matter. We are simply worthy because we are sons and daughters of God, bought with the precious blood of Christ. May we not afraid this day to be human, to not be defined by anything other than the Father's love for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, and I need to preach this uh, sermon to myself because we're living in a culture right now where it just feels like everyone around us is making moves. When people are going places, people are moving up, where it seems like these, the, these lives that are thrown, thrown at us, you know, we, we have heroes that are 
celebrities and influencers and world-class athletes, people who, you know, we strive to be like but, but feel ashamed that we can never be. And, and it's just this constant tension of, of wanting to be someone we were never called to be. But Lord, I ask that it would be our heart this morning to be able to say that at the end of our lives, more than being defined by anything great that we were able to do, that people would be able to say of us that we served your purposes in our own generation and then we died. And that that would be enough to know that in this moment we are loved deeply by the Creator, that our lives matter enough that you would give your own life on our behalf. And I pray that we would just take that with us in all in our homes, in our workplaces, to the places where we feel like we have to constantly achieve and accomplish and prove ourselves. I pray that the gospel would free us to just be human. God, we know that you accept us as we are. You say come to you not because by anything we can achieve or accomplish on our own, but because by, because by your grace, we're welcomed into the family of God with open arms. So may that resonate with us this morning. May that spur our hearts on to embrace our limitations, to embrace ordinary acts of obedience as we live uh, in your way. We thank you for this word. We pray all this in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen.